Like if I search my name into YouTube, is the first thing that <laughs> pops up with around 250,000 views. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. I'm Ian McConstein and I am joined remotely by Ian Madigan and we are delighted to have Fergus McFadden back in studio with us. Fergus, good to see you like Brian O'Driscoll in his glory years. He missed out on a lot of league fixtures but made it back just in time for the Six Nations. Great to have you back here in studio. <laughs> Thanks. Ian, you had a trip down to Dublin to play against the Irish squad with Ulster there today. How did that go? Yeah, it was great. It was a brilliant opportunity for our squad to go down and, and train against the the national team you know some of the younger guys who've never experienced being in camp and you know being able to firsthand see the intensity that the the national team train at and being able to put their their best foot forward and you know get themselves in the shop window for you know hopefully Andy Farrell to look at them in the future so um that was a great great experience for us as a team and it was good to see you know the Irish team buzzing there was a great atmosphere when we got into camp and you can tell they're all very excited about getting the, the Six Nations underway. What's it like being inside in the HPC for our listeners and viewers who wouldn't have been into the HPC before? Was it your first time being in there? Yeah, that was my first time there. Previously, we just trained in Carton House when I was with the national team back in whatever, 2015, 2016. Um, yeah, I was really impressed. Like it, it, you know, To explain the, the sheer size of it, you've got two indoor pitches, so... Uh, for the, the split, we we the backs on one one uh, indoor pitch, which was a soccer pitch, and then the other indoor pitch is a rugby pitch. So you know you've got unbelievable space. Like on a day like today, when the weather was really poor, it was great to have the option to go indoors, um, especially for us backs. Um, and you've got an unbelievable gym there as well. You know, it's uh, really is a great facility, and you know all, all the food on site. And I think. One of the big advantages with that is they can go from Carton House, do all their training, all their kind of video analysis, and then when they're going back to Carton House, they can actually switch off, which is you know very important when you're in camp for the guts of two months. It's a very intense environment, and you've got to be able to know when to switch it on, but also know how to turn turn it off and, and give your mind and body a rest. Seems like they built all these things for when you retired. Yeah, literally, yeah. All the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's um. <laughs> They left the camp in 2018, they fired it up in, in Blanchestown two months later. <laughs> it's unbelievable, though. Like, even um, last year, Aon are our sponsors, and they organised um, a family day for our family and friends to, I suppose, just to know where we train or where we spend, like, every single weekend. And, like, my family couldn't get over, like, the, like you said, Ian, the size of it, but also, like, just everything is there at your fingertips. It's, you know, you've got your hydro pools, your hot and cold pools, you've got your rooms, especially for your, your video analysis. You've got, like, your Morris. I'm sure you met Morris. The chef there with the food is amazing at the HPC, too. Like, they have everything there. The gym is just world-class. So it's great to actually have that facility and that all Irish teams get to use it, like the women, the 20s, and the men, obviously, with different schedules. It's... It's it's busy, you know, we're in Six Nations on a, on a good year like last year. We were in there, all three teams were in there. But it's really, really good to have, um, really good to have there. The food is incredible, like eating oysters and fillet steaks before training today was... <laughs> 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 oysters and steaks at 11 before you train at 12.30. <laughs> My how things have changed. Yeah. Before we get chatting, about, I suppose, about into your own Six Nations experiences and I suppose everything that goes on in camp on the lead up to that, we'll, we'll flip back just to this weekend's fixtures in the Pro 14 and I suppose looking back to yesterday's game with Munster and in the show last week with John Cooney, we mentioned, you know, JJ and his kicks against Leinster and how they didn't particularly go his way. But then, you know, you can be the hero of the show then when, when you're on the other side of it. And he got that last minute drop goal um, to win Munster the game um, when, you know, Benetton were in that game and well and truly deserved that win for a finish. Yeah, I know. And it's actually, I was really happy for him because um, he uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically missed a couple of kicks against Leinster. And I think people forget how tough those conditions were. Like it was gale of a wind and it was snowing before the match. And listen, he's been playing brilliantly for Munster for quite a while. Like he... That performance he put in against Claremont over there was was brilliant. So um, yeah, he showed great bottle to to knock that one over. Yeah, what about that Leinster performance last night, Ian? Did you catch any of it? 
Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, they were very impressive. It's got off to a slightly slower start. In fairness to Scarlets, I thought they actually played some really good rugby in the opening quarter, but Lancers just stuck to their game plan. And once they get moving the point of contact very quickly, the, the Scarlets lads were chasing shadows. Um, and, you know, the, the strength and depth, like Fergie, you know more than me, but some of those young guys coming through, you know, they're 21, 20. Um, even someone like Frawley, um, Harry Byrne, you know, they're nearly the experienced heads now. They're only probably 22 or 23. But, uh, yeah, look, it was a very, very clinical performance. It's great to see Tyke Furlong back. I thought he looked very fit for someone who hasn't played in a long time. It's obviously been, you know, it looks like it's been an injury that hasn't held him back from doing other training um, because he looked really fit. The scrum went really well. It looked like he was moving around the park, really, you know, really fluidly. So I think that bodes well for getting him back in for, for the Six Nations. Yeah, I think like putting fifty points on the Scarlets away. I, I don't think Leinster have ever done that before, and I think it it goes back to the strength and depth you're just talking about there. Like even the guys that they had coming out, like Sean Cronin coming off the bench. You know, you had Tyke Furlong starting. Uh, you had Scott Fardy, like huge experience there. Luke McGrath, Dan Levy had a brilliant game. So uh, they looked mm. hungry as well. Like even when they went ahead by. You know, 20 points, they kept their foot on the gas and you, you, you saw uh, Luke McGrath and, and Jack Cohn talking after that there's things to improve on, but like it was just such an impressive display by them. Yeah, like they're just household names that like they would make any provincial team and there they are, you know. What are Leinster Downs? 15, 16 internationals at the moment and they still have names like that to, to play and performances from the young guys in particular like Hawkshaw came on again and impressed and we'd seen him um, throughout this season, but it must be lads like that, Ferg, that, you know, made you think, Jesus, I think now is the time for me to, to hang those boots up. 100%, yeah. I remember chasing Jordan Larimer when he first came into the squad in like uh, 2000, at the end of 2017, start of 2018 in pre-season and I was just going, nearly ripping my hamstrings off the bone here, trying to keep up with him. He's probably at three quarters pace, you know. That was my stage. I was like, yeah, I'm going to give it a year and a half and I'm done. <laughs> anyway, we'll get we'll get back to um, Six Nations and chatting about that. But we're going to head back to just some memories of your own experiences of the Six Nations, and we'll chat about you know Ireland selection calls. We'll chat about your own embarrassing moments or memorable moments in Six Nations, and and even chatting to fans after after nights after games and, and how that went down. So I suppose Six Nations is is upon us. It, we're a week out from Six Nations. Like, how do players feel? in the build-up to this game, like this week, like how would you have been feeling as a player? I think it kind of depends on the stage of your career you're at. Like for the guys like Craig Casey and Tom O'Toole, they'll probably be really nervous. You know, I'm sure they're, they'll be hoping to be involved and they're delighted to be in there and looking to get their first caps. But um, so th those kind of nerves, if they were picked in, in the squad next week, are different to a Johnny Sexton's nerves or a Conor Murray's nerves or Peter Mahoney, guys that have been there for an awful lot of time. That doesn't mean that those lads don't get nervous. They're just more used to the environment. So they're probably more settled from the word go. But uh, yeah, it probably changed for me. Like initially when I was first in there, you know, I was playing with, with um, guys like Raj and, and Dricko and Paulie, or particularly Paulie and Raj that I hadn't played with provincially and um, getting the opportunity to play with those guys that I looked up to for so long was brilliant. And then the longer you're in the environment, the more comfortable you get. So um it's a range of emotions, but at the start, like, listen, they're going to have high aspirations, the whole squad. Um, you know, the Autumn Series, like, people were probably a little bit negative about it. I think, listen, losing to England and France was disappointing, but the games were, were close, and we, we played very well against um, Wales at home to beat them well, beat a good Scottish side. So, um, yeah, they'll have high aspirations going into it, so we'll see. Ian, players just want to get on the field and play and actually, you know, avoid the media stuff, avoid people asking for tickets. I don't know if that happened to the men. Um, avoid like all that pre-game stuff that you just have to get out of the way. Like people are just pumped, players are just pumped to get on the field. What is it like trying to just zone in on the main thing and the game? Yeah, I, I think Ferg touched on it there. You know, everyone's come into the squad, whatever, the 30 players that are in there. And in, in the lead up to the first game, especially this week, there's only probably five or six guys or maybe seven or eight guys that are nailed down to start. There's still going to be positions that are up for grabs within the starting team. And then 
in the wider squad filling the bench is very much going to come down to who maybe trains particularly well this week or at the start of next week. So you find that it's it's very edgy in there for the first, you know, probably week of it because it, it's that kind of pre-season feel. Everyone feels like, look, I deserve to be in the squad and I'm going to prove that I should be starting or I should be in the 23. Um, that can change. Like week three can be very different because, you know, if the, if the coach is picked with a starting team, and, you know, it, it almost becomes 15 v 15 of the starters versus the others. So, um, you know, it's really important that the, the squad stay competitive and, and they find a way to keep everyone motivated within the group that, that would clearly be there on week one. Um, but, yeah, like the, the Six Nations is a, an unbelievable competition. You know, everyone kind of tunes in for it and, you know, touching there on like even managing tickets, like you'd have people coming out of the woodwork, dropping you a text, seeing if they can get get their hands on two or whatever. But yeah, for me, it was never too big an issue. I used to just get on to my dad and say, here, look, I've got, let's say, eight tickets. You can just decide decide where they go. And he just managed that for me. And I and wouldn't have Mick to worry about it. And a nice cut at it. Charging double. The tickets are 80. <laughs> <laughs> the thirty, like <laughs> absolutely nosebleed tickets, like yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, like the, that's something that you know that you could actually get caught up on as a young player. You could, you know, it, it can get a bit much. You know, you could be getting lots of texts. You feel you've got, you've got to reply to to every single one, and you're you're sending long messages back, and they're long conversations, and then you're stressed out about tickets, and suddenly it can affect your focus for a game. So it's it's something that you want to get on top of really quickly. And like Ferg touched on it there with the likes of Paulie and Raj, you know, I'm sure that they'll be, even having Paulie back in camp, he'll be conscious of that with younger guys, that their focus is very much on the rugby, getting that right. And the stuff on the outside with like the media is is only there to really get in the way. And you've just got to tick that box and, and get on with the rugby stuff. Ferg, what about the anxiety of selection? You know, it's every player's... Worst nightmare getting a text or a call or an email or, you know, you're not on the squad, you are in the squad. Like, how how hard is it to pump yourself up after not being selected for the first game, let's say, and, you know, you're holding tackle pads instead of, you know, actually running out on the field? Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing to manage. Um, I, I think I, I've only been on the player's side ever, but from a management perspective, it's, it's, it's tough um, because you need the buy-in from those peripheral guys when they're not picked throughout the whole campaign. Because if they're if they haven't bought in, the standard of training is going to decline. They're not going to, um, you know, they're not going to present as strong an opposition for that starting fifteen, which isn't going to prepare them well enough for the weekend. So um, yeah, listen, they'll all have they'll all have high aspirations to start going in there. They're all starting for their provinces in the bigger games, so they'll all be going in there hoping to start in their perspective. Um, Positions, so yeah, we'll have to see what what Andy Farrell goes with in the first week. But the first week doesn't mean they won't be playing in the third or fourth week. Like there'll be injuries, there'll be <laughs> drops in form. So it's just about hanging in there. Like uh, you know, I've been a bag holder in there for a whole campaign, and it's not nice. And I've also been in campaigns where I've been involved in all the matches. So um, yeah, you just got to stay positive, I think, in there and just try and impress if you're not picked in training as much as possible. I think as well, you know, the way the Six Nations is, and not to say there's almost two tiers among the Six Nations, but there are almost is. You know, there's a div- clear divide among the, the top three and the, and the bottom. Um, and I think we will see guys, you know, getting their chance against Italy and maybe even against, I suppose, against, you can't really, Scotland are like an up-and-coming team. But, you know, the likes of Italy, we will see guys that will, will get their chance and hopefully not have to hold those bags for the full, for the full campaign. But going back to your own... Um, experiences. Ian, you had both Declan Kidney and Joe Smith, and and how did they differ as as managers? Yeah, I would I would have known Joe far better than I would have Decky because obviously Joe coached me when I was in Leinster, and then he moved on to the Irish setup. So I knew what to expect going into camp when Joe was there, and um, you know he sets a very high bar with basic basic parts of the game, like the detail of the game plan is a huge part of what Joe does you know he he great success with scoring you know two three tries from set piece play so he'd expect all his players to know every bit of detail and he'd he liked putting his players under a lot of pressure and I think he felt at the time that was probably the how that team was going to be successful um 
now saying that that doesn't mean that that's just the blueprint for success there's there's loads of different ways of doing it and you know joe was very much a hands-on coach you know he ran ran the attack ran the backs whereas decky was different in the sense that he was more like a director of rugby he was a very good delegator you know when he spoke to the team it really counted um but he'd have different coaches looking after different aspects of the game and and that was really successful for him what about you frank yeah, I think same, back to what Mads has said there, um, like my first camps and caps came under Decky and I, I got to know him quite well and, and uh, a great person and, and, and I, I found him a really good coach. But as Mads said, he, he was a delegator, so he handed the power down to uh, other coaches and other people in the management that would have done an awful lot of the more hands-on stuff and he would have oversaw the sessions, whereas with Joe Schmidt, he would have controlled everything. You know, he, he would have been very methodical with the way he ran his sessions and the way his team played. Like, you know, the game kind of moved on from, you know, Decky was so successful with Munster and then with Ireland winning that Grand Slam in 2009. When Joe went through with Leinster having that purple patch of, of trophies, he went into Ireland and he, he kept the model, I think, in some ways that he had with Leinster, but he probably even tightened it up a small bit. It was a lot more based around, you know, trying to score off those power plays, like off scrum and line it. And, and it worked for him for pretty much 90% of his coaching career with Ireland. He's the most successful coach with Ireland. And, and who could argue against the way he coached the side? You know, it was just... Um, but th there probably wasn't just as much licence to maybe play what you saw uh, under him, whereas um, under Declan there probably was. That was my feeling anyway. Have you any embarrassing moments or moments you wish, you know, that they've that it didn't happen or that it's made highlight reels in, in your Six Nations career? Uh, probably, I, I have one, yeah, that I probably would like to get rid of off YouTube if, if I could. <laughs> Everyone frantically e searching I've YouTube to, now. I've tried to email them a few times to get it down and no chance. <laughs> uh, I started against Wales at, at 13 in uh, 2012, so... <laughs> It was that Welsh, Warren Gatlin's Welsh side with like, you know, had like Mike Phillips, Falatau, uh, Sam Warburton, um, like a really strong Welsh side. They were a great team, in fairness. Johnny Davies, uh, George North had just broken on the scene. And George North got the ball off a of line out. And uh, I still claim it wasn't my tackle there. I think Doris missed him initially, but I went in to try and hit him. And it was as if I was hitting a Mini Cooper going at around, you know, 60 kilometres an hour. So he did a Joan Lomu impression and completely bowled me over, flicked the ball out the back and he scored a try. And I think that there's around, like if I search my name into YouTube, is the first thing that pops up with around 250,000 views. So it's not ideal. I'm going to have to take a look at that. What about you, Ian? Any memorable moments? Um, no, nothing, nothing too embarrassing, I suppose. But yeah, I'll, I'll never forget just getting called up. Similar to Ferg, I'd been in, in a good few camps before I got my first cap and... Um, you know, ultimately kind of relied on maybe the team not being as, as successful or some guys losing form. But I got called up for, I think it was the second last Six Nations game and um, it was at home to France. And, you know, I'll never forget it. It's just, it, there's a special buzz around Six Nations games that you can't really describe. It's, it's not quite the same for the Autumn Internationals or a summer tour. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a brilliant competition. Whatever way it's set up, I think three games a weekend is a, is a kind of perfect number and everyone follows it closely. And what was your embarrassing moment? Yeah, you didn't ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you thought, but you missed loads of kicks. <laughs> and was this the same game of the crying? No, that wasn't in the Six Nations game. That was in the World Cup. You bring it up every show. <laughs> Mads had the smelling salt out with the doc just oh, before he knew God. the camera was coming on there. <laughs> he knew, oh, oh, here God. we go. Here we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll forever be there, forever be there. Um, it was going back to Six Nations is all about the fans. Like you said, three games in one weekend, like it is. And I think even this year, more so, fans will be so excited to see the Six Nations. But Fergie, do you have any memorable moments of, I suppose, fans post-game and chatting to fans after the Six Nations game or any game, I suppose, getting involved? Yeah, I think the, well, the following with, with Ireland is, like, I, I, I genuinely think that the best, the, the best supported team in, in the competition um, 
and I know all the other fans are very passionate, but the Irish are brilliant. They travel to all the away games in, in um, their thousands. And um, yeah, I think any experiences I had with them, meeting them after games, whether you're able to have beers with the, the players and you're amongst the fans was always great. But with, with Ireland, not really. There was, there was one with Leinster, I remember, um, like I've specifically never had anything with fans, like a strange story or anything, but this one was a funny enough one because 2011 when we beat Northampton in the final of the Heineken Cup, uh, we were, came back to the airport and the manner of the way the game was won, us coming back by you know 20 points and how well Johnny Sexton played and all the rest. Um, we went through the airport and it was like a circus with all the Leinster fans, Mads, if, if you remember. And we eventually got onto the plane. Everyone had been you know, having a few beers in the change room and then in the airport or whatever. We managed to get through the crowds to our uh, boarding gate onto the plane and the, um, the cabin crew were like, everyone, you know, sit down, get settled, whatever. They're getting ready to take off. And this guy, this Leinster fan with face paint and everything, I think he had like a wig on and stuff, comes up, comes up the front. And we realised that he kind of broke into our plane. I don't know how he got through the security or whatever. There's so many people outside. And they, he didn't have a ticket. And they were like, you can't get on. And everyone started chanting to keep him on the plane. So they, they just closed the doors and kept him on. So he, he just sat in a spare seat. And from what I remember, if I remember correctly, obviously this was a huge energy, energy booster for it. The, the squad, like just everyone like slapping him and screaming at him when he's walking down. I'm pretty sure he was asleep by the time we took off. It had probably had a big day in the beers. <laughs> the excitement got the better of him, but yeah. yeah, I remember that. We were all going nuts. But yeah, some some supporter experience getting on the plane back, fair play to him. That was dedication, absolute dedication to try and get yeah. past security, no ticket, the whole hog and get on. It wouldn't happen now for sure. You should get on to the show, if you, actually, if he hears the story, we should get him on, give his, his take of it. <laughs> See what he remembers of the show and why he ended up falling asleep yeah, on yeah. the trip back. Um, <laughs> I suppose bringing, going back then to, like you said, after the game, you know, the, the after post-game celebrations are always, you know, memorable. Um, and not just, you know, on days where you win a Heineken Cup, just, I suppose, every Six Nations game. But would the players... I suppose back when you guys were playing, not that it was that long ago, but, you know, was it a lot different then to now in the way that they celebrate after the game? And, like, would they have a few pints or would they have a few drinks or has COVID kind of ruined that? Uh, well, I think COVID's definitely ruined that at the moment for for the the people that are playing currently. Like, you know, you even saw the guys that got capped in autumn. You know, I saw the, a, a picture of, like, Ed Byrne, Will Connors, Hugo Keenan and, and Jemison were all capped in the same match. And like they probably went back and, and had a couple of beers in the in the team room, but that was probably it. And and th- that's disappointing that they couldn't even, you know, share that moment having a few drinks with their parents or their dad or whoever it was. And what um, would normally happen? Would they just meet back at the team hotel or usually like in, in normal times, like I remember under Decky what you'd do is you'd go back and you'd have a function. So um, you'd, you'd always have a function after the game and you'd, you'd, there'd, be ca- there'd be caps handed out to the new caps and there would be ties handed to the prospective captains with um, those, those kind of metal... Um, yeah, the pins. Those badges, yeah, yeah. that they get handed yeah. out as well. So, and then there'd be speeches from um, the president of the unions and all that stuff. And you'd mix with the players and it'd be lovely. You could either have a few drinks, you could not have a few drinks, whatever. But... Um, I think it probably changed a bit. Like, I think you still have that, and I'm sure they will have it again when it comes back. Um, but it's an important part of it because I think, listen, it's a, it's a, it, there's, a, there's players coming from the four different provinces. Some of them don't know each other as long as others, and it's a, it's a, it's a bonding opportunity, you know, to have those drinks, and I think it's a very important side of it. Yeah, it's also a great way to meet up with the opposition team you know that's a huge part of the game it's it's something that, that that's a real killer with COVID you can't even go into the opposition change room and have a catch up afterwards um, but the, like the format of the Six Nations works really well because you've got two games in a row and then a week break then a game and a week break and two more games so yeah generally like the night out after the first game probably wouldn't be too crazy but you know if you've got a week off after the second game you could you know, give it a good hit and celebrate the first caps from those first two games. And there's some good traditions that are upheld there. And um, the other good one, Fergie, that I would have fond memories of was <laughs> now this wouldn't have happened um, this year, obviously. But generally, there there used to be a week camp 
week long camp um, before the team got together for the for the Six Nations, and that could have been let's say down in in Galway or up in Belfast or down in Cork. And mm. at the end of that camp, you'd then be given the weekend off, but you'd usually end up having a few beers there, or if it was in Carton House, and that was a, a, a great time when you know you'd have done some hard training, and then you know you get some bonding done between you know the four provinces coming together and. I have some fond memories of those nights. Yeah, definitely. I remember the first, speaking of the first calf experience that you're talking about there, because I'm not sure if this tradition, does the tradition still, does, the, does it still go on where they get the first caps? Every every player in the, in the match day squad can give them a drink if if they want. So say if we played together and you've played before, as was my, my first cap, you give me a drink, we both drink it together. So when I got my first cap in 2011, my it was against Italy. And then the second week, as you said, was against France. We played again. So then it was an opportunity to celebrate the few first caps from the week before that, that day and have a few drinks. We did a week off and it was in the Shelburne. And we'd lost by, I think we'd lost by three points or so. It was, it was, um, it was tight, but it was disappointing because we'd played pretty well. And like a rake, the Irish lads were coming up giving me the drinks and I was going, Jesus, I don't need this. You know what I mean? Just I hadn't, I didn't know Declan Kitty that long and all this stuff. And then Johnny, of course, goes over to the French lads and goes, oh, by the way, you can give him, it's his first cap, you give him a drink, he's a drink it. So I was like, Jesus. So next thing, William Servac comes up. He's actually the assistant coach for France at the moment. He was hooker that day. And he, he, I stand up and he gives me a pint of Guinness and uh, start drinking it he had his he honestly had his his pint finished in around four seconds so around <laughs> 15 seconds later I'm obviously thinking of my head going if if this goes well for him all the other French guys are going to come up here so I was like what am I going to do what am I going to do so I finished the drink I just grabbed him by the back of the head and kissed him right <laughs> and all the all the French lads erupted and he just as white as a ghost and obviously, I'm dicing with death there because he's a big man, but he took it well. Oh. And thankfully, none of the other Frenchies came up to me. So it was the right call. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I remember Yeah, like that tradition with the, with the drinks is brilliant. And like, you know, your, your mates will come up to you and you'll have a pint of Guinness and you kind of feel like you've been let off lightly. And then you'll have like some of the old stalwarts coming up with like a double cognac or a double <laughs> like... You know, just trying to, <laughs> not needed. They're trying to think in their head. No, they're trying to think in your head. How can we tip this guy over the edge? But um, I think you know, people are are looking at you and um, they're seeing, look, how well has he taken this? And you know, they don't want to put you in a bad way. But it is, it is definitely a good team building experience. I'm glad that all we have to do is just sing a song. <laughs> anyway, lovely stuff. We'll take a short <laughs> we'll take a short break and we'll be back with Ireland versus Wales. We'll also talk about the Rugby Australia offer to potentially host the Lions. To take us there, that here's what Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton had to say for themselves at the Six Nations launch earlier this week. Andy spoke at the end of the Autumn Nations Cup about how well the lads kept focus with all the contract stuff going on and people being unsure about futures and stuff. Like we go in, like I'm sure negotiations have been going on, but we go into the Six Nations with, you know, lads still not knowing what the, what their future holds. As a captain, is that kind of tough for you? And have you, have you found the lads kind of, are they able to kind of park that to one side? And is that kind of an extra burden for you as a captain to deal with? Um, no, I think it's, you know, obviously as captain, it's important that you, you're mindful of people's, you know, situations and, and making sure you're, you're asking about how they're, they're getting on with things but in terms of you know there's people in you know outside of our bubble that are in a lot worse situations than, than we are at the moment so um we sort of got a touch of reality there um you know obviously with the contract stuff you know i think the most guys are are underway now and uh hopefully they'll be they'll be all sorted out uh one way or another you know over the next week or two because you know you want to get it done and dusted before before such a big uh campaign coming up and um, you know, if not, there'll be breaks during the Six Nations, I suppose, on those fallow weeks to to pick up the pieces if, if there's last bits to done. But uh, look, it can be a distraction if you let it be a distraction. But I think guys here know how important the the Six Nations is. And, um, we're just looking forward to getting getting the rugby side of things underway. Anytime you, you get uh, a, a little niggle like that, it's very frustrating because I did a lot of work over the last four or five weeks, um, trained hard. To, to make sure that didn't happen and it did at the time that I didn't want it to happen which is 
somewhat typical. Um, but listen, uh, it's not it's not major. Um, hopefully, we'll be back training. You know, by the end of the week. Um, you know, and like I said, hopefully, be fit for fit for the Wales game. Um, so yeah, it can be frustrating when you when you pick up these things. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, it is a tough game to 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 get through now but um you know I was in a good place you know before the monster game and picked up Nigo so I won't let it get it get me down too much and just get back on the horse get back training hard uh, this week and uh, hopefully be firing next week well f- first of all he, he's uh, he's 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 been brought into ad uh to be himself and uh, and, and the the obvious thing would would be that boy's going to add to any environment um so a, a good uh, a good um uh, rugby relationship for, for for many years now, and he's somebody somebody that I, I keep in, in touch with uh, on a regular occasion. We've had him in camp a couple of times, and um, I'm always been interested in what his what his thoughts are and his next steps, etc. And uh, yeah, I suppose conversations just keep on happening over a period of time, and um, yeah, the, the timing's right for now for Paul to come into camp and, and get ready for the Six Nations. Andy. Um... I suppose with the squad kind of an announcement, this is your kind of first time to kind of chat about it uh, since it was made. With some of the selections, I was saying like you could, I was only saying to somebody the other day, you could select 45 players and you still won't please everybody. But uh, were some of the selections made maybe with an eye to the future? Like I was thinking, looking at the likes of Tom O'Toole and Craig Casey, or do you think they're there like a 100% on merit? Well, um, like every international coach would tell you, um, uh, the, there's always the, the, the here and now and the medium term and the future and you've got to be able to deal with the, deal with them all you know uh, I suppose uh, selection always comes to first and foremost of, of did they deserve to be in the group um, and uh, with those uh, young lads etc that people are talking about of course, of course they deserve to be in the group because they'll be in the group to make the group better you know uh, obviously the experience of them being in an international campaign uh, of uh of the ilk of a, of a Six Nations is, is is going to be big for them, so we'll see how they deal with that along the way as well. Andy, just ah. just for me as well, just um, yeah, I was going to ask about for long. That's been out of action for a while, and would be great to for you to kind of have as another weapon would be James Lowe. Do, do you know if he's close enough? Would he be in the mix for for the Wales game as well? Yeah, again, like Tyke, he's he's progressing really well. Um, all the guys that have uh, part the the. They're at a stage where they're, they're progressing, um, uh, and like everyone, like like Johnny, like Johnny here for himself, you know, there's a few protocols that a few lads have to have to get through this week. Uh, but hopefully, come the weekend, um, all's going to be good on the on the news on that front, and we'll have a we'll have a straightforward week into Wales. Uh, Johnny, just a, a question. I know Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool was talking about how difficult it is to foster a team spirit with social distance. Uh, and, and things like that. Is that something you've kind of found, you know, that you can't do the usual handshakes, you can't spend so much time together in meeting rooms and that? Is that something you've talked about? And is, is there anything you can do over the next couple of weeks to kind of help maintain that team spirit? Uh, the spirit was brilliant in, in uh, November and through the back end of the Six Nations, you know, when we were when we were in camp. Um, you know, I don't, you know, it's not it's not an excuse, you know, you gotta, you've got to make an effort and... Uh, Got a lot of Liverpool fans, so I don't like you. Uh, friends as Liverpool fans, I don't like you talking about Jurgen Klopp. I'd much rather you talk about uh, Man United at the moment and how good they're doing. And that's not the, the COVID restrictions aren't affecting their team spirit. So, um, you know, the, it's all, all there for all the rules are there for everyone. All the teams are the same. So, um, it's what you make with it, isn't it? It's what you do with with the time you have. And and we've got a good social committee here, and they'll uh, they'll keep us entertained. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to you know the, the the camp ahead. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed. Last October, Ireland went into their final Six Nations game against France, knowing the championship was in their hands. They lost 35-27 in a result that saw England crowned champions. While Jacob Stockdale is missing the first two games of the season's campaign, Ireland are in a decent shape and will fancy another run at the title if they can beat Wales away next Sunday. So heading into the 2021 Championship, Ferg, I suppose England have to be the favourites. Yeah, they probably would be with the way they've been playing over the past 12 months. Like They did a very strong autumn nations. Um, but obviously, you know, France are um, 
I think that they've got something special um, building in, in their squad there. You can see that as well. So, um, I mean, who, who the favourites would be? Yeah, the bookies probably do have England, but I think it's, I think it's a very hard Six Nations to call. I think, you know, you've obviously got England and France, but Ireland are, are coming in under the radar, I feel, here, um, with hopefully not as much pressure on them, they'll feel, because... I suppose after Joe Schmidt, it was all about, oh, what's going to happen next? And is it going to be more success and all the rest? But it takes time to build that for Andy Farrell. So hopefully um, with the talented squad he's put together, um, you know, you could fancy their chances to you know, maybe, maybe win it. I'm, I'm not sure there's going to be a grand slam in this um, Six Nations because it's just so competitive. There's so many tough matches, but um, I'd, I'd have high hopes for Ireland anyway. It's almost easier in going in as the underdog. Like there was a huge amount of pressure on Ireland's shoulders last Six Nations on the back of, you know, the Joe Schmidt reign. Mm. Um, it has to be easier for both Andy and the players going in, I suppose, under the radar. Yeah, it is. I think traditionally having France and England at home are our best our best years to either win the Six Nations or potentially do a Grand Slam. Beating both of those sides away traditionally is very difficult. Um, but the flip side of that, going away to Wales in your first game is a difficult start. You know, the Welsh, are very, they have an unbelievable record in the Millennium Stadium. Um, there's definitely been an uptick in some of the Welsh provincial form uh, the last few weeks. So I think they're, they're, that's going to be a very, very tight game. But if, if, if Ireland can win that, you know, be backing them to beat the Scots and, and the Italians away, and then on our day in, in the Aviva, we can beat anyone. So, you know, even if it was one of France or England that we beat, that could be enough to win it. You know, as Ferg said, it's probably unlikely that a team is going to do a Grand Slam this year. But, you know, if it was a wetter day against the French, you'd definitely be backing us. You know, our, our tight game is probably better than theirs. But the way they're playing and the flair that they're playing at, if it's a dry day, they're incredibly tough to, to stop. You know, they just have such speed and power and they're offloading game literally two or three quick passes gets to the right person and, and you, they can put you under real pressure. And we saw that in the last game of, the, of the, the Six Nations last year. 100%. And it will be a completely different team that, you know, plays Wales this weekend that will play against the French and the English. And I suppose since we last spoke, Ian, um, Andy Farrell named his squad last week and, you know, lots of really good calls, lots of, I think, not strange calls, but ones we weren't expecting. Um some headaches, I think, for him as well in the selection for the ahead of the Welsh game. I suppose we'll chat about the back three, you know, as you know, we'll talk about, we'll start off with them. Um, oh no, we'll get Maz to talk about the Thanks for a better show, surely, no? <laughs> we'll start with the back three and we'll, we'll see what you think. We'll move, we'll move on to the tens. You can be thinking about it there. So just before we came on air, Maz was saying the tens were knocking the balls on left, right and centre in there today. <laughs> He should have left me down there. <laughs> he was hoping for the call up. But I think I think had Larmer not struggled so much under the high ball last weekend, he was a dead cert. But I think he almost played himself out of a starting position, and that's my opinion now. What what do you think? Yeah, I'm not so sure, to be honest. Um he obviously hadn't played that much rugby, but again, I think I mentioned earlier on about JJ's kicking, like that day, like the TV never does justice to what the weather's like, and you know when the when the wind swirls and Tom and it's very tough to get under. Um, I mean, the, the the rest of the guys found it tough as well under the high ball. Like it was just it was such a it looked like such a swirly day. Like Hugo Keenan uncharacteristically, you know, didn't catch a couple clean. Like it's one of those days where as a back three you jump at the point that you think you can get the ball in the air and it moves yeah. so much. It's just so difficult. So. I still think Jordan will start. Um, you know, if I was, the, the back three and the, the back row are, are so competitive. They really are. Um, but, I mean, with Stockdale, with Jacob Stockdale injured and Andrew Conway hasn't played much rugby, James Lowe probably hasn't played that much rugby since autumn, like I'd probably say it'll be Keith Earls has been so good for Ireland for so long. He has to be in there. And then Jordan on the right with Hugo at full back. That would be... And I know Shane Daly has done well as well, very well for Munster. Um, but I just think the lack of rugby for, for maybe Andy Conway and, and James Lowe, I'd imagine, would probably maybe rule them out of starting. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I agree. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Ferg. I think 
I think Hugo Keenan's probably the form guy. You know, he's been the most consistent. I thought he was very good in the autumn series. So you're going to find a spot for him. And w- with Jacob unavailable, I think it's it, it only makes sense to, to play him at 15. I think he's he's a guy who's making great strides. Every time he seems to play, he seems to improve. So he's definitely someone who I, I can see the, the, the coaching team sticking by. And I'd echo what Ferg said. Like, Earls, he's been rock solid on, on that... Um, on the wing and and then it's probably the other spot that the likes of James Lowe, Conway and um, Larmer are competing for. So I think what we could see there is, you know, against a certain team, if James Lowe is fully fit and wound up, the physicality he offers is is definitely another string to Ireland's bow. You know, he's like another midfielder out in that wing. His ability to come in looking for work um, definitely offers us something different. But I think if we want to play a, a wider game plan than having someone who's a bit nippier and in the likes of Larmer, who who you you probably back more on a, on a one v one that he's gonna you know get get on the outside of a player. Yeah, the fact yeah. they're playing. Yeah, sorry, the fact they're playing underneath, so the roof is on, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, you know, historically the Welsh backline they are so physical and they will be very physical, but there might be opportunities to move the ball a bit more. So maybe those guys we we mentioned there, the likes of Earlsey and and. Uh, and Jordan, like the conditions could suit yeah. them perfectly. And as that they'll wingers. actually get on the ball. You know, it's it's being a winger. Sometimes you know it's a lonely place out there, and you have to go really looking for a lot of work. Um, but I think yeah, yeah. even on the, the the kicking side as well, like with Jacob, like Jacob's left foot is such a weapon. Like you know, he kicks the ball an absolute mile, and you take him out, then suddenly it actually makes James Lowe's left foot more valuable. You know, and and the international game, there's a huge amount of kicking. It is you know playing in the right areas is a massive part of. You know, ultimately getting a win, so that's something that I'm sure they'll be looking at. That maybe having James there to do some of the exit kicking is is definitely an advantage for him. And I know Andy Farrell did say that everyone is fit to play, so he is picking from the full squad. He said in the press conference during the week, so you never know. Even though James Lowe hasn't played a lot, even though Andrew Con- Andrew Conway hasn't played a lot of games up until now, um, we're imagining that everyone is fit to play. We'll move on to the centre partnership, and I suppose personally, I think that. Henshaw has to start at 12. We saw it last weekend, last weekend against Munster. Um, he's not just, you know, the ball carrying 12. He he can do it all. He can pass, he can kick, he can be there at first receiver. Um, he just creates so many opportunities for someone like Ringrose outside him. And I think the partnership will be that partnership because they've, they've played so much rugby together. You know, obviously we spoke in depth about the depth of the of the centre, um, the centres in the Irish squad, but I think personally they might too. Yeah, no, it's a tough conversation, I suppose. Um, I'd probably agree with you, but I suppose at the start of the Autumn Nations, Andy went with Bundy and Gary, and then he had Robbie on the bench, thinking that, presuming Robbie could probably cover fullback as, as well as centre. But I, I just think the cohesion that, that, that Gary and Robbie have playing together every week in Leinster, and they know each other so well... Um, Listen, it's a nice headache for Andy Farrell to have like three world-class centres. They really are. And you, know, you could argue either side of which combination is better, but I'd probably go, uh, you know, Robbie at 12 and, and Gary at, at 13 too. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to be said. Yeah, like if you've got that partnership going at, at club level, it, it can definitely carry through at, at international level. And, um, you know, the flip side of that is if, if you are looking deeper in the squad or you're going to rotate for other games and... If let's say, for example, they were going with Billy Burns, then it could be a good match to put Stu McCluskey with him because you know, week on week for Ulster, they 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 have a great connection there. So that will definitely come into it as as the as the competition goes along. We'll move to the tens, Ian. You're the expert in this area. <laughs> <laughs> His mic wasn't yeah, well, turned off there, did it? <laughs> There's a bit of a pause on the. <laughs> A technical dish issue here. Yeah, when I have to move no, to you. I think I think yeah, we've seen we've seen Johnny run run the show for the last number of years, and um, I think when he's on form, you know Ireland are on form, and and um, I'm sure that this year's Six Nations won't be much different. So, look, hopefully we see Johnny at, at his very best, which I'm sure we will. And um, you know, you can see a lot of the stuff that that Leinster are doing really well, filtering across into the Irish setup, and you know that's the kind of intellect that he brings on a daily basis. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, it's, 
I don't know if it's that much. It's that really up for debate. Like he's, he is captain of the team. Like I suppose the the question is who's second choice. If he's well, if he's if he's if he's, yeah, if he's Johnny's. I think he, he said in an interview that he was training towards the end of the week, so he's captain mm-hmm. and like he will start if he's yeah. fit. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's a, again it's it's a tough argument and. Uh, like Ross Brown I, came on the last day in the Munster game and played, you know, impressive, really, really impressively. Ross has um, Ross has played brilliantly for yeah. for so long, and 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 you know, and 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 Billy has also played brilliantly for Ulster, but he's had a couple of injuries. He has, he hasn't had probably as much fluency as Ross in terms of playing time, and yeah, Ross like it's that summed him up. He came on then in Munster, and it was you know. It was seamless almost, you know. It, he, yeah, it was a really tough time in the match when we're losing and just a really big play puts in that kick and then he knocks over the kick from the sideline, like, you know, against the wind. So I'd probably have him starting off. I'm sure Billy Burns will get his opportunity um, at some stage, but I probably I would have Johnny and then Ross on the bench. Yeah, and I think they do. Um, someone mentioned, you know, are you picking youth for now or are you picking youth for the future and I suppose he has to have one eye on the future as well like medium term long term that Johnny is not going to be around for the next World Cup and he's going to have to keep an eye yes it's Six Nations and that's what's important right now but there has to be a thought on the future as well yeah I think that and a lot of people talk before campaigns you know you know it's about the future about the future and listen it is in a way when you're trying to build it to World Cup in 2023 but just remember that the Six Nations, you go into a Six Nations want, like having to win every game and wanting to win the competition, whether it's the Triple Crown, whether it's the, the trophy or the Grand Slam. And you, you need your best players, you need your most experienced players, you need your guys that have, have, have played at that level numerous times or as close to. So the guys are playing at, at European um, Cup level repeatedly with their club sides. So um, yeah, there, there's a couple of young guys he's, he's, he's picked, Andy, in there. And I thought there was a few other guys in similar positions to very unlucky to miss out, to be honest. But um, yeah, it's important to have, always have one eye on, on giving those guys experiences uh, along the line of trying to do, do everything you can to win. I think it's a, a real balancing act that, that Andy Farrell has to do. You know, like you look at, for example, bringing Craig Casey in, you know, it's great to see you're looking to the future. But at the same time, if you, let's say, Luke McGrath or John Cooney in, you know, what value is their experiencing you know their experience adding so um you know you've got to be deep bringing young guys through and, and getting them experience but at the same time you're under big pressure to to do well and ultimately try and win the competition yeah i suppose you have to think of the now as well and and it is you know ireland want to win every game in this campaign and that's the most important thing but also you know you need you need players going into a world cup that have more than 10 11 12 caps essentially and, and I suppose this is the time and it's not ideal um but this is the time that those players need to be blooded and it is great to see the likes of Craig Casey but then I suppose I was you're the same Ian you know the first name I looked for when the squad came out after chatting to John last Sunday was to see if John's name was there John Cooney's name and you know so disappointing for someone like him who is in the form of his life and even Luke McGrath has been phenomenal and such a leader for Leinster and again last night you know after I'm sure really disappointing news to go and play the way he played last night as well. Yeah I think that that sums Luke up the way he just reacted and even after the match in the interview he just said he was delighted to be there playing as did Jack Conan who arguably both of them should be in the squad to be honest so um, yeah they're just putting their best foot forward that's all they can do and it's it's very disappointing when um, Everyone thinks you should be in the squad, as everyone probably would have thought Luke was going to be in, and he misses out. As with John Cooney, the same, you know, goal kicking and and pulling the strings for Ulster for a long time. But listen, um, Craig Casey has, has gotten his opportunity, and I'm sure he's really excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. He will be definitely a star for the future. The one that I'm sure everyone's brains are, are racked, and I'm sure Andy was the same when he picked this. And like you said, you know, Dan Levy didn't make it, Jack Conan didn't make it, um, Gavin Coombs then in Munster didn't make it. There's so many players that could have been still involved in, I'm, I'm leaving out people, but there could have been so many more involved in that back row, Ian. Um, how do you see it going? Like, there's so many options for the back row, and, and even the second row, if you look at Byrne, you know, where does he play? Yeah, certainly, like, Ty, Ty Byrne's probably the, the form guy, um, in the back five of the pack, you know, consistently he's coming up with three, four turnovers a game. His carry game's been excellent this year. That's an area of his game that I think he's really grown in, in the last probably 18 months. 
So, you know, I'm sure we're going to see him in some capacity. You know, another real strength of his is he's he's a great impact player. He's a real good guy to come off the bench for you and, and can come up with some big plays in the last 20 minutes of matches. Um, for me, I think I think Kalen Doris is probably nailed on at number eight. I think, you know, either number eight or number six, but I think he's a fantastic player. He's He's a big, strong guy. He's got great footwork at the line. He's a really tough guy to defend because he's the ability to run over you but he also has the ability to do late footwork and get soft shoulders. He's a good offloading game. And, it, you know, to me, it looks like he's got a huge engine. He seems to pop up all over the pitch. Does Burns' versatility almost go against him? Um, it pro- I'd say it probably had done before this, but like you, you just can't ignore how well he's been playing for so long. And I think, you know, with, with, with Devin Toner getting left out of the squad again, that, like, you know, he's been one of the, inform Irish players for the past number of months, like quite a while. And, you know, he showed his worth against Leinster numerous times on the line. I think he turned the ball over twice or three times and we were yeah. pounding their line looking for a score. And and do you see him as a second row or back rower? Well, I, I see him as a second rower. He's yeah. playing second row for Munster in their biggest matches. And I think mm-hmm. like him and James Ryan together would be some partnership. Like it's like having two extra back rows on the pitch, literally like the amount of work that James gets through is phenomenal as with Tyg and then you've got that threat over the ball as well like it's a coach's dream really and then you've got like you could pick any back like any back row out of the six they have in there and you could still you'd have a world class back row so you know um, a lot of tough decisions there for Andy Farrell in the back row but nice headaches to have at the same time Yeah I'm sure Paul O'Connell um is delighted to be working with you know players of that calibre um, but again I'm sure he's involved in the selection in the selection process but He's only been with them a week or two weeks inside with the coaching team, but hopefully his coaching will have an impact on the squad ahead of ahead of the Welsh game, Ian. Yeah, certainly. I think Paul, like he's aside from his coaching ability, he's just such a charismatic guy. You know, the energy he'd have brought on on day one would have just been infectious, and you know, you could even see that down there. You know, he just has a, he's a special way of motivating guys, and um, he's he's certainly the best in the business that I've come across at that. So we'll continue on with the front row, you know, our our expertise here, guys. Um, and we're not going to pretend that we are experts on this at all. At all. But for what, what are you thinking for the, for the starting front row? Yeah, I think between um, game time and form, like you'd, you'd probably go Porter at tight head with Ty coming off the bench. You know, it's a, what a player to have coming off the bench. I think he's just easing back into it after his injury. And then probably, like, it's a tough decision between Kelleher and, and Herring, but I'd probably go Ronan Kelleher and then, then Kean Healy at, at um, Loosehead. That would probably be my front row. And you agree, Ian, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, it was good to see Dave Kilcoyne back. He looks he looked fit there when he when he ran out for, for Munster last weekend. Um, and then another guy actually from Ulster, Tom O'Toole, he's similar to kind of Craig Casey in the sense he's he's been brought into the squad. He hasn't got his first cap yet. But he's been brilliant for Ulster over the last couple of seasons, and and he's um, the kind of new hybrid tight head prop, where like he's a very mobile guy, he gets over the ball well, and he's one of the best tacklers I've come across. So um, it, I'll be very excited to see him hopefully get his first cap whenever that comes. I'm sure Andy Farrell has some headaches, and we definitely won't get that right. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see how they get on and what team that he does select against Wales. Focusing on Wales, who? are the main players that we need to look out for on that Welsh squad? Yeah, I think as far as the, the backs are concerned, like they've got massive threats um, across there. Ian can talk about the half-backs, but like the back three, you know, you still have George North back in the squad there. Like if he's anyway fit, like he's he's such a huge threat. Um, and I, I know he's not probably playing the, the rugby that he was back at the Lions Tour in Australia kind of um, stage, but... Uh, you know he's such a tough man to take down and mark, and um, I'd imagine if he's fit, he could start. And then you got um, Reece Samet, uh, that le- left winger for um, or the winger for Gloucester, who's outstanding talent. He's lightning, uh, and then Josh Adams, who's been brilliant for them. Um, you saw his finish against uh, England in that last one of the last plays of the game, where um, bigger kicks kicks one across and he took it above his head. He's got that skill, so. Um, and then geez, Liam Williams as well. Like I mean, they've they've got some really good options in the back three, so um, that would be a massive threat there. 
And look, like we said, it's going to be indoors in the principality. You know, they'll, they will love and, and flourish in those kind of conditions, you know, where it's, it's going to be fast rugby and they'll be aiming to get it to those players. But talk, talk us through the halfbacks, Ian. Yeah, like they've got great experience there in, in at halfback. I, I presume they'll go with Garrett Davies and Dan Bigger. Um, you know, we saw Reese Webb being left out of the squad, which shows the strength they have at, at number nine there. They have a very excited scrum half and Thomas um, Williams. Thomas Williams. Yeah, sorry, he's he's lightning. You know, he's the kind of guy who, as bodies are getting tired going into the last quarter of a game, he'll be sniping around breakdowns, and um, he's a, he's a real difficult guy to to keep keep on top of and. I'd say most likely you'll have Callum Sheedy coming off the bench. You know, he's, he's going really well for Bristol Bears this year and um, definitely another player kind of on the up. He's, you know, early 20s still, still a lot to learn, but he's very exciting. And, and you know, that halfback pairing could could really stress the Irish defence in, in the last quarter of the game. Well, we're really looking forward to the game anyway and to the start of this year's Six Nations. Um Ian, you were really happy to hear recently that Rugby Australia took you up on your offer or took you up on your idea about bringing the um, Lions tour. They were obviously listening to our podcast and they heard you mention about bringing the Lions tour down under to Australia. <laughs> Avid supporters of the podcast, good on them. But uh, yeah, look, it was great to see. I think it's it could be a solution for getting the Lions over the line. I think everyone's a winner. You know, as rugby in Australia has been struggling the last few years. Obviously, it's very competitive in, in Australia with all the different sports between, you know, rugby league uh, with the NRL, the AFL, you know, they're just a very sporting nation. So it's, it's competitive and, and rugby, unfortunately, has fallen slightly by the wayside over there. So, you know, something like the Lions could really invigorate the, the next generation to get out and play rugby. So I think the ARU are very conscious of that. You know, you'll be able to have full stadiums, um, you know, the, the negative is obviously you're not going to have the South African supporters being able to watch it. But I think they're of the you know, realisation that that's not going to happen with the, the current COVID outlook. But look, it'd just be great to see that the, the series be able to go ahead. And if that was the solution, I think they should do everything they can to make it happen. Yeah, I suppose we're, there's a lot of kind of pros and cons associated with it. Like I suppose the Lions Street traditionally is about the travelling fans, both um, the Lions fans, but also it would be disappointing not to have the South African fans there too, but I don't think I don't see that happening if it's either held in the UK and Ireland like they suggested or talked about, or if it's going to be held in South Africa. I don't think fans is an option at all. So maybe Australia, the positive would be that you would bring the fans there, but then how nice would it be to be a South African in a Lions tour playing at home, home advantage? It it has to it has to mean a lot to you. Yeah, but I suppose how many South African fans are going to want to travel and quarantine for two weeks before the tour, that's highly unlikely that many people will sign up for that. And on the flip side, then you have an awful lot of expats that are living in Australia. Like, you probably end up having more fans for the Lions than you would for the South Africans there. Um, So I I think, listen, it going ahead is, um, you know, the main goal for rugby and and the Lions, you know, legacy and everything else and the excitement around it. I think people just want that in the summer to look forward to as well. But I think the South Africans will look at the tour if it, if it goes to Australia or the UK, taking away that home advantage, that's huge. Like going down to try and win. Like I was only watching the 97 um, Lions tour on Sky Sports there recently with like, you know, you, you Delalio and Keith Wood and, and um, they won there. It was the last time they won down there and it was phenomenal. Like it's just such a tough place to go with the crowd. So be much, much different, but it going ahead is, is the main goal and, and hopefully they come to some sort of conclusion on it. And even for the players, it probably would be nice to even, you know, go on tour. If it was on in Ireland or in the UK, it, would be, it wouldn't feel like they're on tour. It would just be like a Six Nations or, a, you know, it wouldn't be as special as an actual travelling tour to either South Africa or if it goes on in Australia. But hopefully, I think, they're, I think the Lions Committee are thinking of making a decision early February, so hopefully we'll, we will mo- mo- know more than... Um, if it is going ahead or not. Um, We thought that it would be a great idea to look at something that caught our eye on social media this week. Um, This could be something funny, thought-provoking, shocking or downright brilliant that we've seen on Twitter, Instagram or on our House of Rugby Ireland Facebook page. For us, there's no better place than to start than the video that was on BT Sport that was tweeted out um, of that stunning Radrada try against Bath on Friday night. A Bristol... Running into space, he doesn't need that much space. He's taking on the defence. He's in a world of his own at 
the moment. Get your telescope out, aim it towards the Milky Way, and somewhere in it you will find that bloke. What a try, what a run. Can't even celebrate. Ian, did you see that try? Yeah, I did. Bristol just demolished Bath. You know, that's one of the biggest derbies in, in English rugby. And for Bath to be on the back of the guts of a 50-point defeat will, you know, will be pretty crushing for them. Um, I think we've seen, you know, highlight reel of Semi Rodrado is incredible. Like, he's just a physical specimen. Um, it looks like men against boys, but it simply wasn't good enough from Bath. You know, you've, you've guys jogging back after he's made the line break. You know, you need to have a bit more fight, let alone... Um, a normal rugby game, but for it to to be a derby game like that, you've got to see a bit more bite, and you know you'd be disappointed if you don't see a big reaction from Bath next week. Yeah, like it wasn't even just the initial tackle that was missed in the front in the in the front line. It was then the fullback was way out of position, completely stepped. Did you see it? Nightmare I, for a fullback. I did watch it, but like it is a bit like a computer game when he gets the ball, Red Radra. Like it's between him, yeah. and, between him and Pietau in the same back line. Yeah. Um, because I actually saw I think because Brian Byrne, who's gone over there and done brilliant. Yeah, got well, a great try. He, he scored two tries. Yeah, he scored two tries, and uh, but it was actually I, I think he ran he ran off Pietau's shoulder for one of them, and I was just thinking if I was Brian, I'd be doing that every game, just running off, off Fred Radra <laughs> and Pietau would have picked up an awful lot more tries than I did during my career. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah, having those two game breakers in your team is just such a strength, you know. Like, there's, you can do all the, the structural coaching of, of a defensive system that you want, but like off turnover and when there's space, there's not really any stopping those two guys when they're one-on-one with you, which is some strength for Bristol to have. Yeah, they're phenomenal. Well... Cheers to everybody for watching and listening today. Don't forget you can continue to get involved in our Facebook group and on Twitter. A big thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Anthony and everyone that helped getting this show together. A special thank you to Paddy McKenna for all his support and inputs over this season and seasons past. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe Slongfo. Slong. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed. <laughs>